0: Overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Envision Together, going to our next level of best. I'm your host, Pamela Mashana, and I'm so excited to have today's guest go ahead and introduce himself to you. His name is Liam Naden, and boy, do we have a lot that he's going to share that I think is going to be of interest to us all. So with that, will you go ahead, Liam, and introduce yourself? Tell us whatever you want us to know in terms of your biographical information.
1: Hi, Pamela. Thanks very much for having me on your show. I um, you're very, very honored to speak to you and your and your listeners as well and share my information, which I hope will be helpful because I've always been consumed by this question, how can you be the best that you can be? Or how can I be the best that I can be? How can I have a really happy, successful and fulfilling life? And it's something that really I've spent most of my life in many different ways trying to answer. I was brought up in New Zealand, as you might pick up from my accent, and I lived quite a bit of my life there. And I was born into a Catholic family. I'm the eldest of eight children, quite a large family, I guess. And so I started off with a religious background. And even then, as a child, I was asking, how do you get what you want? How do you be happy in your life? And the answer I got back from my teachers, my parents, my education, the priests, was Well, if you want to be happy, if you want to be successful, you just pray to God. You just ask God for what you want, and God will give it to you. Mm -hmm. So I worked pretty hard on that. I remember as a child, when I was only about nine or 10 years old, going to mass to church at six o'clock in the morning, every day in the winter for a month. What I've been told is if you ask God for something, if you pray, then he'll give it to you. So I thought, I'm going to try this out. So, I went to church every morning for a month in the middle of winter and I said, God, I want this, please. (laughs) I was polite about it. And I, I can't remember what it was. It was to win a competition at school or something. But I was thinking almost without realizing it, I want to try this out. I want to see if it actually works. Is this the secret to success and happiness in life? And I don't think I actually got what I was asking for. And I started to notice that maybe. Religion didn't have all of the answer because the people all around me, my parents, my teachers, they didn't seem to be any happier or more successful than anyone else in particular. Anyway, from there, I went into different directions and I was told things like get an education. That's how you become happy and successful. Mm -hmm. So I did that. I went to university. I studied music, actually. I spent seven years at university studying music. And while I loved it, I didn't feel what I was learning was actually making me any happier or more successful. And I certainly noticed that again with the people around me. So then I was told, well, get into your own business. That's the key. Make lots of money. Then you'll be happy and successful and you'll be able to do whatever you want and you'll be able to have freedom. So I started the first of what became many businesses, actually. I've had 18 different businesses. I was Mm. counting it up the other day. And many have been successful and many of them haven't, or some of them haven't. But all the while, as well as building up my business or businesses, I was also working on myself and I was doing things in the personal development field. So I was the sort of person who would go to a seminar anywhere in the world. I've been to seminars where you're from, from in California. You know, that's a long way from New Zealand. I was pretty motivated and I did courses. I listened to programs on everything to do with goal setting, motivation reprogramming your subconscious mind, changing your beliefs, all of these different things. And then I also explored spirituality with meditation and the law of attraction and all these different practices. I really was looking for anything that I thought could help me figure out how to be really happy, really successful. And the thing I was really looking for most of all was to feel good, feel happy, feel really in control of my life. But what I noticed was Although I did have a lot of outward success, I became a multimillionaire, I was doing, had a lot of money living in a really nice house, traveling, doing things that I wanted to do, I always seemed to have stress and problems. And I remember reading or hearing from many different people say, well, that's the price you pay for success. You are going to have stress, you're going to have problems, you're going to have enormous challenges and, and obstacles that you have to overcome, and you have to get used to that. And I did get used to it. Not that I was that happy about it, I guess, but I thought, well, okay, I accept that. Something interesting happened in my life in my mid forties that really, because I was by this stage, I was a real expert in success. I knew I'd read a lot of books. I, you know, if you were to say to me what this program about or this particular guru, what what does he teach? I'd probably have a pretty good idea for a lot of them, anyway. Anyway, I thought I was uh, pretty well an expert on success, but in my mid-40s something happened that should never have happened, and that to me. And it was a big moment in my life, a turning point, because I went from being a multimillionaire to losing everything, becoming Mm -hmm. homeless. I had to move in with my elderly mother and sleep on the sofa in her living room. But when I rebuilt my life, which is my life now, was something completely different. I'd been studying success and chasing after success. Mm -hmm. Once I lost everything, I changed the way I was doing something Mm -hmm. and success started to come to me. That's what it felt like, and that's what it still feels like. And so what I do now is I share with people what I learned about the difference between living a stressful life where you don't really achieve the success that you want and the opposite, which I discovered, is by taking a completely different approach where success and happiness and fulfillment and being in control of your life literally comes to you. And that's what I've been doing for the last few years, uh, traveling around the world, sharing this information. Currently, I'm in El Salvador. Uh, The last few years, I've been sailing on a boat around Europe, doing lots of different things, living my dreams and sharing this information about how you really achieve success in your life rather than just having to struggle at working sometimes.
0: Wow, that's interesting. So I do look forward to hearing more of what you're going to share. But as I was listening to your introduction. I'm a Christian, so I do have success using my faith. And I was just thinking, wow. Uh, and I'm not sure, so you can clarify. You said after a couple of months of praying, you felt that it didn't work. And I don't know, it's been my experience that whether it's been two weeks or two years that I pursue it in prayer, not expecting it to happen in a certain time frame. And it could be different with different topics. And it's also, I believe, a learning ground, I believe, in terms of using your faith, strengthening your faith, exercising your faith, and not giving up. And I also thought it was kind of sad that you felt nobody around you seemed to be happy.
1: But here's the thing. Can I just say I didn't mean that to be a denigration of prayer or religion at all because what I've discovered is the Bible is the greatest manual on success – and how to achieve success in your life that exists. All of the research I later did, which is primarily about how your brain works, Mm -hmm. how you are biologically designed to be successful, it's all explained in the Bible on how to do that. But if people aren't getting the results they want, it's because they're not doing it the right way. It's like like learning to drive a car.
0: You felt like maybe there were some principles of the Bible that you hadn't been taught the right way to get the results that you wanted. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. So let's go there. Your teaching suggests that people are not using their brains in the right way. So what research have you done that supports your claim around all of that?
1: Well, when I was studying the difference between my old life of struggle, success sometimes, but not really feeling happy, and the the new life where things were working a lot better, I thought, well, I've studied so much when it comes to personal development, religion, Spirituality, but there's one area I've overlooked, and that is the fact that we are biological. We live in a biological experience. Now we know we're not all of that. We know we're not just physical beings, but we are governed by the laws of of nature, the laws of biology. There are several laws. For instance, we know that if we walk out a ten-story building, we're going to fall down, and it doesn't matter how much you pray, how motivated you are, how much you try and change your beliefs. You are governed by that law. You are governed by the law that your heart beats. Another law, and this again is taught in the Bible, and I'm happy to illustrate it. There's another law which science, and when I, started, when I realized I'd overlooked my biological nature, I started to look at what science says about the purpose of life, the purpose of our life, and how life is put together. And that led me into a lot of research about the brain and about physical organisms. Because here's the thing. All of science and all of biology will tell you that the purpose of your life or the purpose of all life is to survive. All of nature, this is what I call the law of thriving. Mm -hmm. All of nature, every living organism is wired to try and survive for the longest time possible. So it has has the greatest chance of survival. And part of that is being the best that it can be. And the more I got into science and biology, I realized that there's this state which science Calls homeostasis, which all living creatures are designed to be in, and that is the state of perfect functioning of the organism. And for humans, that includes being happy, because when you are happy, it's not just your physical being the best physically that gives you the greatest chance for survival, it's your mental, spiritual, emotional part that needs to be as good as it can be to give it the greatest chance for survival. In science, which is what I really studied and research, which was the overlooked part, I started to understand that the brain is a machine that every living thing has been given to ensure that it does have the greatest chance for survival. The purpose of the brain is to make the organism the best that it can be. And when I tied this into religion and spirituality, and I could see there was a physical connection between how the brain works... And what spiritual traditions have been teaching about how to achieve happiness and success in your life. And that's when I put it all together and I created a model based on brain research, but it's a simpler model than having a lot of technical words in it. But that was the missing link, really. I've done a lot of research into that and started to show me all the connections between spiritual teachings, religious teachings, and everything else, philosophy, psychology, it all comes together. And when you understand, Your brain is this machine designed to make it all happen.
0: So you said you pulled your research from biblical background, scientific background, and did you do any specific studies with people, like a qualitative or quantitative?
1: No, here's the thing. Most of the people who are pioneers in research are open-minded to all sorts of different disciplines. Because part of the problem, we've become very tunnel vision. And this isn't to criticize anybody, but I, I'm sure most people would, if they're open minded, would say with whatever discipline you look at, a negative way of saying it is the definition of an expert is someone who knows more and more about less and less. But <laughs> unfortunately, the way society has become, people have become in their training very focused and very tunnel vision, I think. And I was very lucky with all of the different things that I'd studied in my own personal experience. I wasn't locked into one philosophy or way of looking at things. There are certainly people that I have picked up on and thought they're on the right track and that makes sense. But I've generally pulled all these ideas together rather than, I certainly haven't got any qualifications and gone down the, I've got a PhD or, I've, I mean, I've got a master's degree in music, but that <laughs> that doesn't really count.
0: I was just curious when you mentioned research, I was just wondering if you actually talked to a group of people and did a study in that way. So it was just purely curiosity. My next question would have been, what was your findings from that group of people or or something like that? Right. What are the four parts of the brain and how do they work together to give us the results we get in life?
1: Okay, well, that's a really interesting question. And there's a A lot of research that has been done about the brain, what has been discovered is that there are four separate regions. These are physical parts of your brain that each have a different function. That function contributes to the purpose of your life, which is to have the greatest chance for survival by being the best that you can be. That's what the brain is designed to ensure that happens.
0: What are those four categories, those four parts?
1: Okay. So they all have scientific terms, but I've broken it down into a model that people can understand. The first part, which is located on the top of your head. So as I say, these are physical regions. This is not just an idea or a sort of a, you know, theoretical idea. The top of your head is what I call the intellectual thinking brain. And the purpose of the intellectual thinking brain is to gather all of the information that you have that you experience in every moment of your life. So everything you Get from your five senses, what you hear, smell, taste, touch, see, and all of your thoughts. It puts that all together and stores it as information in this part of your brain. So, this is like a library or a database of all of your experience, all of your knowledge that you have gained in every moment of your life.
0: And just for information's sake, what would be the scientific term for that part of the brain?
1: It's called the neocortex. It has several different names. The second part of your brain. Is what I call the emotional or feeling brain. And this is located just below your thinking brain, your intellectual brain. So your feeling brain, and this has scientific terms if you want those as well. So there's a couple yeah. of places called the amygdala and the hippocampus. They are the primarily the places where this emotional feeling brain operates. And the purpose of this part of your brain is to generate feelings. So what it does is it takes signals from the thinking brain to decide what your environment is like. Is it safe or is there a danger? And if it's safe, it releases chemicals that make you feel good. So in other words, you look around in a beautiful environment, you're feeling good and happy. So it says everything's safe, feel good. And you do. But on the other hand, if it sees something that it sees as a threat or a danger, creates other chemicals that make you feel bad. And this actually creates two completely different responses in the brain. And and this is the at the core, which I'll explain, of Mm -hmm. why people have problems, because they don't understand how these two part or these two types of experience actually work on a physical level and what it's doing to them.
0: Okay. So
1: that's the emotional feeling brain. The third part of your brain, which is at the back of your head, the main area is the brain stem, it's called. This is what I call your survival brain. Now, your survival brain looks after everything that automatically keeps you alive. So all of the bodily functions, you know, your breathing, heart rate, digestion, everything about you that you're not thinking about, Mm -hmm. but is keeping you alive on a moment-by-moment basis. Mm -hmm. It's keeping you, as the name suggests, surviving. For a long time, science thought, in general, it's a a simplified model, but in general and science had other models to explain it in the same way. They thought those were the only three parts of the brain. Thinking brain, the feeling brain, and the surviving brain.
0: The third one that you mentioned, that's in the back of the head, the brain stem, is that where you have like almost involuntary reactions?
1: Absolutely. Okay, yeah.
0: automatic. Yeah, come back
1: to that because that's okay. really important. It's all involuntary because you're not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. That's your thinking brain. It's just happening. You don't think about your breathing and your heart rate, and mm-hmm. you know digestion and all of those things they just happen automatically that part of the brain can't think and that's really important to understand as well the fourth part of the brain which is located around in the very center of your head and one of the important places which we could talk about forever but you might have heard of is the pineal gland but we won't get into what that is but anyway this part of the brain is what I call the creative brain now the creative brain this is a separate region in your brain and it this generates things such as Your creativity, your imagination, Mm -hmm. your intuition. It's where you get a gut feeling about things where you go, well, that doesn't feel right, or that does feel right. It generates your motivation, it's your inspiration, it's where you say where you find yourself driving ahead and taking the right action and doing things.
0: Is that also where your like nighttime dreams come from?
1: Nighttime dreams. Dreams while you're Uh, asleep. It can do. Yeah, that's part of it. A lot of the research is a bit grey about about dreams, so it's not something I've explored too much. But the other thing about your creative brain, the important thing to realise is when this part of your brain is activated, in other words, when you're being creative, when you're being imaginative, when you're being resourceful, when you're feeling good, because this is all activated by good feelings, this is the part of your brain that's actually supposed to run your life. When you activate this part of your brain, it is doing for you all of the things to make sure that you are the best that you can be and give you the right. greatest chance for survival. So sense. this is where you get new ideas from. Mm-hmm. You know, Composers, musicians, they've described this and where they've said, I just heard the music and I wrote it down. I don't know where it came from, mm. but it's nothing I'd ever thought of. It's where you get a new idea that you've never thought of before. Maybe it's a solution to a problem you've had or an idea about doing something. And you go, wow, I don't know whether that, and we call it inspiration. But here's the thing about this part of your brain. Because your brain is so powerful and its job is to make sure that you are the best that you can be so that you have the greatest chance for survival, it also has the power to manage your environment for you. So when you meet somebody unexpectedly who, who turns out to have a really good opportunity or be really good for you, that's your creative brain at work. When a coincidence happens or luck, that's your creative brain at work. And people say, well, that's not true. It is just coincidence. It's just luck. But it's not for two reasons. One is there's nothing random in this universe. And secondly, you think it's luck because you're not using the awareness that your creative brain gives you to see that it's not luck.
0: It actually makes me think of biblical scriptures. So a man thinks so is he. So in a way, you kind of sent out conditions, if you will, for that to show up in your life?
1: Yes, it's a little bit simpler and easier than that. I'm not saying that the Bible is not correct. Bring you some really good Bible evidence that this is all true in a second. If you want to be biblical, God has given us a machine to ensure that we have the best life possible because that's our biological purpose, to survive. We can only do that when we're using the part of the brain that's designed to do that. People often call this, this is like a peak performance state, where you're in the flow, it's called, or in the zone. Mm -hmm. This is when you feel really good. And what's happening? You are at your best. Things are working well. Things are falling into place. You're making good decisions. You're avoiding making bad decisions.
0: While I was listening to you, I was reflecting on myself. And I like to think of myself as a creative person. I'm a writer. I write books. And sometimes... I'll write something that actually blows me away. And I'm like, I don't even know how I thought of that. Or I've been sitting in a meeting at work and I have an idea and the people around me are like, wow, that's that's an incredible idea. Or sitting in class or, you know, we all have these experiences. And it's like, I don't even know where this thought came from, but it is pretty good. And I'm always like, I always say it's God. That's just my way
1: you are tapping into an intelligence that you can call God, or you can call it the universe, or but it is an infinite intelligence that is beyond your own thinking brain. Your thoughts are limited to what you already know, but when you tap into the infinite intelligence, you literally tap into all knowledge that exists, which is also God. And that's where new ideas come from. Most of the things that happen to you in your life that are good or bad, or usually good, they're usually unexpected. You know, you don't go out and write a goals list, of a picture of the person you're going to marry. They just sort of arrive in your in your life.
0: It's also making me think of when I was in college, I studied philosophy for my bachelor's degree. And I remember we were studying about the perfect form. I remember writing a paper and then after describing everything, because it's all explained things in such a way that before a physical chair can exist, The perfect form of a chair existed first somewhere out there. I explained it the way I knew the teacher wanted me to explain it. But at the end, we had a simple sentence where I said, but I believe the perfect form is God. Our conversation today is causing me to remember all of that. Like I haven't had these thoughts in years (laughs) about that class or the paper that I wrote.
1: And the thing that ties it in is this machine we've been given to allow physical expression for all of these things to work. I'm just going to and give you the final piece of the puzzle about the brain. Okay. If you think about it, if God has if you want to relate it to that, if God has created your physical body to give you the greatest experience that you could possibly have, to express the you to your greatest ability for many reasons, but one is to make sure that you have the greatest chance for survival, in other words, to be the best that you can be, then the way to live is is using this creative part of your brain. that's what it's there, that's what it's designed to do and it's a bit like God saying, I'm going to give you the machine. It's going to give you the result if you use it the right way. And here's the Bible which tells you how to use it. But if you're not using it the right way, you're going to have problems. You're going to have stress. It's not going to work properly. But it's not my fault. I've given you the right machine. I've given you instructions. But the final piece of the puzzle is remember going back to your survival brain. I mentioned that's everything to do with your survival. And as you said, it's involuntary. It's without thought. It's reactive. So the way you're supposed to live is you're supposed to be in your creative state using your creative brain, activated, doing all the right things, feeling loving, feeling grateful, contributing, all of those things, and being the best that you can be. But there's only one time you're not supposed to be like that, and that is when the brain was designed however many hundreds of millions of years ago, the world was a much more dangerous place than it is today. If you think back to cavemen days, You know, you could be walking along the forest being the best you can be, but a lion might jump out from behind a rock. Mm -hmm. So you've been given a mechanism in your survival brain to deal with unexpected threats to your survival. Mm -hmm. And we often call this the fight-flight-fear mechanism. Mm -hmm. So what actually happens in your brain, the way your brain is designed, is it's looking around constantly to see whether your environment is safe or dangerous through your emotional brain. And when it's safe, it's saying everything's good activates the right chemicals, which activate your creative brain, make you feel good, and you do all the right things. But if a lion jumps out from behind a rock, your brain recognizes a threat, your emotional brain, a danger. And it says danger, and it sends a different set of chemicals in the form of fear, anxiety, stress, worry. And what happens then is your brain switches, and it switches into the survival brain it activates something called the sympathetic nervous system. And what happens then is it activates this involuntary reaction. So if the lion's coming for you, you run away or you shout for help or you, you know, stand and fight, whatever it is. But the brain is designed to activate this reaction based on your feelings of fear to get rid of that threat or that danger so that you get rid of it as quickly and effectively as possible. And then your brain says, right, safe again, activate your creative brain again get back to being the best that you can be but the problem is when you activate when fear comes into your life and that because that's great for a lion about to attack you you need to react you need to get rid of it but when fear is activated in your in your brain what actually happens is your brain takes all of the energy from anywhere else it can anything that's unnecessary to use that energy in case it needs it to deal with the threat. And one of the things that takes the energy from is the part of your brain that is your creative brain. So all of the functions that are in your creative brain shut down because they're not necessary to solve an immediate problem, to get rid of a lion. You don't need to be creative, resourceful, imaginative, grateful, loving, all of those things. In fact, that's not going to help. It could be harmful. You need to get rid of that lion straight away. So your creative brain shuts down. And this is an automatic thing when you feel fear. Fear is a signal from your brain telling you that you're faced with an immediate threat or danger. And what happens when that's shut down? You lose the resources, the access to all of the part of you, your brain, that can make you the best that you can be, that knows what you want, that knows what your goals are, that knows the right things you should be doing, that knows the things you should not be doing. Right. And what people don't realize is when they're in a state of fear, anxiety, worry, stress, which many people are most of the time, they've blocked out all the resources that enable them to actually create the life they want. And they're trying to solve their problems using a part of their brain that is never not designed to solve problems. It doesn't know the answer to, to what you need or to, even to what your problem is. It doesn't know what your goals should be. It doesn't know what who you are. It's, it's shut down all of that information. It's there to try and get rid of that lion out of your life straight away. And you know the beautiful part about this? The Bible. What does the Bible say? More than 300 times, I think it's more like 350 times, the Bible says three words. Be not afraid. Now, that's an instruction. It's not a like a nice idea. It's an instruction to say, don't be afraid. Because when you're afraid, what happens? You activate your sympathetic nervous system. You shut down the part of your brain that that actually can operate your life and you're going to struggle. You're going to have problems and stress because you're using the wrong part of your brain.
0: Right. It also
1: says in the Bible, give no thought for tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about what you shall eat, drink and wear because it will all be provided for you. Mm -hmm. And it is when you use your creative part of your brain, that part of your brain, it brings you all the right people, it brings you all the right ideas. It brings you the solutions, it brings you the right goals that you should have and the right things you should do, but you can't activate that part of your brain, which is connected to God, to infinite intelligence, that knows more about you than your thinking brain thinks it knows about you. That's only the bit of the information you picked up in your own life. It doesn't really know about you, all of you, it doesn't know what you need in the future to do, but your creative brain does. That's why God is saying in the Bible, you need to be in the state where you activate your creative brain. And the only way you can do that is by getting rid of fear, because fear is the mechanism for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to get you to get rid of the lion that's running at you, an immediate threat or danger. And most people are afraid of things that aren't immediate threats or dangers. They watch right. the TV, which says, <laughs> you know, you're going to die from a war or, you know, or some disease or, all these terrible things, and they're feeding their brain to believe that the world is a dangerous place, that they're not protected, that they're not going to be able to be the best that they can be, that they're going to be no, surrounded by all these threats. And it's not simply too, not.
0: Not too long ago, I was almost in a car accident. I mean, the person just swerved in front of me just in a nanosecond. And I remember afterwards thinking, I don't know how in the world I reacted so quickly to take myself out of that situation. Like it doesn't even make sense to me how I didn't hit that car.
1: You're not designed to think about it. If you had to think about it before it happened, you'd be dead.
0: Right. You know, so that's what I was reflecting on while you were sharing with that. That's All the automatic and voluntary responses just kicked in. And I, I remember telling my daughter and my mom, It took me about 20 minutes for my heart to stop racing and go back to normal. Mm. And I'm likening that whole experience to what you're talking about. Like, what if I stayed in that position? Then I would be like a paranoid driver and I would become unsafe if I stayed in a zone like that of reacting to what just happened to me. So at Mm. some point, I had to go back to you know, my normal state.
1: And the reason you went back to your normal state is you um, your brain recognized that the threat was no longer there. Right. It had dealt with the threat. Now, you had still had the chemicals in your body that, that had been generated. You, you needed to get rid of those. They needed to go through your system. So it didn't just switch off automatically. Right. But you could feel the pressure and the, the stress that was on your body that your brain had created through these chemicals to get you to deal with, with a threat.
0: So I'm relating all of that to different kinds of threats that I've had in life where maybe I experienced abuse. And so there's a heightened, there's a fear, there's a, and I had an epiphany a few years back that I had stayed, I had remained in a state of fear because of that occurrence And how unhealthy it was that I lived a portion of my life reacting to that place of fear. When I think about things like that, that's what this talk is helping me relate it all to. I know for a fact that it was unhealthy for me to kind of live under a certain fear. It wasn't on the forefront of my mind. I didn't even realize that I was in that state. Yeah. But when I realized it, that's when I could work on changing it, locating where I am and almost intentionally reminding myself to not be in that state of I have to protect myself. And I think this might be a good time for me to ask the next question. How do you eliminate fear and stress in an uncertain world?
1: Well, I think the first thing you need to do is to understand that all the fear and stress that you have in your life This sounds a little bit controversial, but it is the truth. This is how you're biologically designed. If you have fear and stress in your life, it is your brain telling your body and the rest of your brain that there's an immediate threat to your survival. Through all of the negative programming that we've had ever since we were born, told, we're you know, life's dangerous, life's hard, you need to struggle, there's all this uncertainty, there's all these bad things happening in the world. Because of all of that, we've wired our brain trying to believe that it lives in a dangerous world. So in other words, you can look at something on the television or you can have a thought or somebody can say to you something like, oh, this is really bad, and your brain will relate that, connect that to a threat to your survival. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a classic example. The stock market crashes and people get all stressed and worried. Now, that's not a threat to their survival. Even losing all their money is not a threat to their survival, as I found out, Mm -hmm. because but your brain thinks it is. Yeah. If you realize your creative brain, if you lost all of your money today, your creative brain would say, "I'm here to to make you the best version of who you are okay. and I'll I'll make your life work for you if you let me use it." But you can't do that if you're all stressed and worried and think that you're using the wrong part of your brain which is saying, "That's a danger, that's a threat." When it's not. Mm-hmm. So the key really The first, and this is what I teach a lot of in my programs, the most important thing to realize is that fear is your enemy. You're creating a biological response. You've got to say, what is making me afraid? If it's a car coming at me, if it's a lion coming at me, yes, I need to be afraid. But everything else, it's my perspective. It's my brain having been tricked by all of this negative information to think that that's a threat. So that's the key is to say, fear is the enemy. What can I do to eliminate it from my life? And you can do that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's the whole thing.
0: Do you have steps or things that you share that helps people to do that?
1: Well, I actually have a coaching program and I work with people on three primary levels about that. The first thing is to understand that this is how it works. You know, your brain is like a motor car. It's just a machine. It's just got a job to do. A motor car is a machine that gets you from where you are to where you want to go. And it does that predictably, comfortably, reliably. You don't have to worry about it when you understand, firstly, that that's its job. That's what it's designed to do. And secondly, that if you drive it the right way, it's going to do it. You know, you don't drive down the road worried about whether the car is going to stop every second because you just understand that's how it works. So the first really important thing to do with your brain is to understand its purpose and how it works. Then you think, like we've been talking about really in brief, I've been using it the wrong way. That's crazy. It's a bit like saying, I didn't know how to drive a motor car. And you got out and you started to push it from behind thinking that's how you got it to work. And you prayed hard and you were really motivated and you put a lot of effort in. And someone came along and said, that's just not the way it works. And then when you understand how it works, you go, why did I do it that way? Why did I make it so hard? So that's the first really important thing to do is to understand. And when you do, the light's go on and uh, the pressure goes off and you think, well, it's just the way the machine works and it's going to make me the best that I can be if I use it the right way. It's what it's designed for. Now, the second thing is to understand how to eliminate fear from your life as much as you can and to realize that most people don't realize what they're putting into their brain that is making them feel afraid. And most of it is unnecessary. You know, a war up on the other side of the world... That's not a threat to your immediate survival right now. But if you feel bad about it, it's your brain tricking you to think that it is. So it's really important, and this is what I teach, is to start identifying all of those things in your life that are making you feel bad that you need to change or modify. It's a bit like, you know, another analogy quickly is that someone gives you a glass of hydrochloric acid and says, drink this, you go, hang on a second. No, thanks. You go, no, no, look, you don't understand. If you pray hard enough, if you believe, if (laughs) if you think positive, it won't harm you. And you say, look, you don't understand what hydrochloric acid, what it does to my body. And they say to you, well, if you don't drink it, I'll shoot your mother or your father will die or something bad will happen. You say, well, I'm sorry, but I just know it doesn't matter what other justification there might be for drinking that hydrochloric acid. It's going to ruin my body, probably kill me. And it's the same with fear. When you understand that, people say, oh, it's all really well for you, Liam. You know, I have all these problems and all these reasons why I have to feel bad, why I have to feel stress and fear. That's not the point. If you do, you're using your brain the wrong way. You're putting the wrong fuel in. You're drinking hydrochloric acid. doesn't matter how justified you might feel. That's what's happening. And the third thing I do, once you've eliminated things that are making you feel bad from your life, the third thing is you need to get back into your brain and, and help your brain see the difference between what it's been taught, to things to be afraid of, things to be that are a threat, and to see the difference between real fear, like the car coming at you, and all of the imaginary fears, like someone, your husband or wife walking out the door or you're losing all your money or being homeless, like me, and realize those are imaginary fears. And I have a process called neurostate rebalancing which as the name suggests, rebalances these four parts of your brain so that your brain stops feeding you this information that puts you in the wrong state, the state that, that can't help you. So instead of driving walking around seeing imaginary lions jumping at you out of the trees all the time, <laughs> you can actually activate your creative brain and see that you actually live a perfect life. And that's when it becomes a perfect life.
0: I have certainly experienced a time when I was fearing where it wasn't even there anxiety and all of these worry and all of this stuff, it hasn't happened yet. You're fearing what you think might happen. It's, and like you said, it's imaginary. And it's it's a terrible thing to go through life for any moment, days, weeks, or just a moment in a state like that, where you're, you know, there's some real things to fear, like that car or <laughs> without Nobody. making up stuff.
1: There's not many things to fear. The car coming up at you for sure. Someone about to hit you or whatever for sure. Those are real fears. But you know, if we realize that God has has created this machine to get to ensure that we become the best that we can be, mm-hmm. so that we have the greatest chance for survival, and it's designed. Part of that is to design to make us happy and really excited. That, in other words, that's all part of being the best that we can be. Well, why would we be afraid if you knew that? you know, your wife comes in or your husband comes in and says, I want to leave, why would that upset you? Now, of course, you know, yeah. I'm not, I do a lot of marriage and relationship coaching, and, and this, isn't, this, isn't, this isn't meant to sound like flippant or whatever, but your brain, if you get all stressed and upset about that, all that's happening is your brain telling you, if they leave, a lot of bad things are going to happen to you and you're not going to survive.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, like you're going to be a failure and you'll never find anyone else and you'll be on your own and you'll lose everything and your children will be all up. They're just all imaginary fears. But unfortunately, when you feel those fears, you do all the wrong things in that situation. So you beg them to stay and you you become this horrible person that they don't want to be with anyway. It's true. So, yeah.
0: I mean, there's some gray areas. It's not all black and white. You're going to experience fear if a car suddenly jumps in front of you unexpectedly. But I follow what you're saying, because listening to you reminded me of a saying that Get which president? I'm going blank on the president, but he said, "There's nothing to fear but fear itself." And it's fear
1: is the enemy. It was it Roosevelt? I think yeah. it gets you to do the wrong things. Gets you to react. Yeah. And, and then you say, "Why did I do that?" You know, people have arguments. They yeah. have an argument with the, with maybe in a marriage or whatever. They know they shouldn't be arguing. They know it's not doing any good. And they know it actually makes things worse. And later they go, I "Wonder why I argue? Why did I say those things?" They did it as a reaction because they're using the survival part of their brain to react to a situation. They're not in a creative state where they can respond appropriately. And
0: That's reminding me of another saying I try to live by, which is don't make any important decisions when you're in a heightened state
1: of emotion. Your brain won't allow you to make the right decision if you're in a fearful, stressed, anxious state. And that's why people say, oh, I can't think straight and I don't know what to do. And their brain is not designed to show them what to do when they're in that state. This is just a biological
0: thing. And it's okay to be in that state for a time. Just know that that's not the time to make life-changing decisions. You have to wait for yourself to get back to the creative state.
1: Well, the trick is to say to yourself, what's making me feel bad? What thought am I having that's making me feel bad? And to realize that whatever it is that's making you feel bad, whatever this thought is, is simply not true because it's not a threat to your survival. If you trusted that God or your creative brain had everything sorted out for you, why would you be stressed and worried?
0: Yeah. That's not fate. I I have really enjoyed this conversation. We haven't covered few of the questions I had for you but I think the conversation went exactly the way it should this is good stuff but there is one final question I ask all guests before we sign off which one final gem would you leave with the audience if they forget everything we've said today you want them please don't forget this one thing that'll help them go to their next level best around the topic we're discussing today
1: just remember you have a biological purpose to be the best that you can be if you look throughout nature You'll see everything is perfect. Go and spend five minutes looking at a bird and seeing it's not stressed and worried. Like the Bible says, you know, the lilies in the field don't worry. Why should you? There's a perfection there in nature that you are designed to tap into, just like you're governed by the law of gravity, like everything else. You're governed by the law of thriving. And if you're not thriving, if you're not being the best that you can be, even if 99% of other people aren't as well. It's purely because you're not using this biological machine that you've been given the right way. So the priority should be to figure out how to use this machine the right way. You know, it's like with a car. You don't make it a priority to look at it, to change the paintwork on it. You make it a priority to learn how to drive it because that's what it's there for. Mm -hmm. You want to drive a car to where you want to go. You don't want to just look at it Mm -hmm. and admire it and, you know, analyze it.
0: And you have to work at it, though, because it needs a tune up. It needs gas. It needs tires. And you're saying that we can do work uh, on our brains. You know, from the time we've been born, certain things have come in and given shape and we can basically reshape and use our brains better. And I, I love this talk. Please share any information you would like to share about how my audience might contact you, get your books coached by you. Go ahead and share.
1: Thank you. Well, everything's really just on my website, which is easy to remember. It's just my name, liamnaden.com. I've got podcast episodes, uh, coaching programs. I do personal coaching, lots of information there about getting this machine working right because that's what God gave it to us for.
0: Well, this is great. While it's going to be in the show notes, we'll go ahead and spell your name. It's L-I-A-M for the first name and the last name is N-A-D-E-N. And he is saying that you can go ahead and find him uh, on his website by using his name, and you'll have lots of resources and ways to get in touch with him. So, with that, I just wanna thank you again. You've been a wonderful guest. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You got me thinking, and I was certainly able to relate a lot of what you were saying to my own life. And that is my hope for my audience that they would be able to use this information. And if they have a desire to want to know more, that they would get in touch with you.
1: Thank you. I've really (laughs) enjoyed the opportunity. Thank you. Of course.
0: Well, friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future, getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.